Well, today we are starting a new sermon series called Didn't See That Coming. Over the next five weeks, we are going to be digging into a very specific section of the book of Isaiah, specifically chapters 40 through 55. Now, this sermon series is one of what we call a, a, a BYOB series, Bring Your Own Bible. Uh, this, these series are mainly just an excuse for me to get a, be, be a big Bible nerd and geek out about how amazing this book is. Uh, but we do also want to, uh, to do a couple of things every time we do a BYOB series. First, as with every sermon, we want to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying through specific passages of Scripture and apply them to our lives. But second, we on the teaching team, we really want to help equip you to be able to study the Bible on your own. And so when we do BYOB series, we dig deep into, uh, into not just what the Bible says, but how it says it. And uh, we, we get into, uh, you know, what are some of the things to keep in mind when we're reading this complicated but really amazing book. So when we have a BYOB series, one of the things that we found useful in kind of helping you understand how we approach the Bible is that we talk about the worlds of the text. For example, there's the world behind the text. Uh, you know, what was going on when this passage was written? What, uh, what was the culture? What was the history that led to this particular book being written? Or what were the first readers of this book going through? Then there's the world of the text. The world of the text is uh, how does this passage connect with all the other passages around it or passages from other books of the Bible? Or how does the imagery in this passage connect to other imagery? And, and that helps us understand how this fits within the broader story of Scripture. And finally, there's the world in front of the text. That's our world. Our world is the world in front of the text. These are the, the cultures and assumptions and realities that we bring to the text, as well as uh, what this text is saying to us in our context. Now, as I talked about a few weeks ago, when I talked about the humble pursuit of truth, uh, that's what this is. This is, this is just uh, acknowledging that it is important to know what we are bringing to the Bible, even as we're listening for what the Bible is bringing to us. That's the world in front of the text. So those are the three worlds of the text. And we're going to touch on all of them throughout this series. Okay, but I know what you're wondering. You're like, Barry, why in the world would we, we, would we be looking at specifically Isaiah 40 through 55? That seems like a very random uh, section of the Bible. And you'd be right, except for the fact that in scholarly circles, and again, a bunch of Bible nerds out there, uh, scholarly circles, they generally agree that this particular portion of Isaiah, these, these chapters, uh, were written for the Israelites at a very specific situation, a very specific time period in their life as a nation, the Babylonian exile in 6th century BC. Essentially, these chapters of Isaiah, in these chapters, the prophet is speaking truth to the people at a time when they had hit rock bottom. Uh, things were not going well. And as we're going to see, uh, even though our world is completely different than theirs. I mean, we're, it's nothing like that. But that's, you know, the world in front of the text. Even though it's different, we do have some pretty, uh, a few similarities in common with them. For example, the people of Israel in the, in the Babylonian exile, they were facing a collapse of their normal lives. They were facing hardships they'd never faced before. And frankly, questions about where God was in, in the midst of it. Like, God, where are you? We can relate to that a little bit, can't we? Because as we are facing, you know, month four of a global pandemic, which has turned everything upside down, which uh, has led our country into an economic recession, I think these words are going to be timely for us. So before we start reading, before we dive in, I think it would be valuable to, for me to give you just a little bit of context, a little bit of background of this section of Isaiah, the, the world behind the text. 
So let's talk about the background behind it, and then we'll get into some passages, okay? So we'll start here. This is kind of the story that leads to this moment in Israel's history. Ever since they first had a king, Israel, the nation of Israel, always had a bit of a hard time trusting in God. Now, they started out okay, I guess. Uh, the first hundred years of Israel as a nation, uh, they, you know, had growing prosperity. They were being led by kings like Saul and David and Solomon. And, and for the most part, in that time period, they, they did trust in God and they were blessed as a result of it. During Solomon's reign, they even built the temple. The temple, which was this beautiful, uh, what they thought of as the dwelling place of God, of Yahweh, where the people could meet with God and encounter Yahweh. But then, after Solomon, the people got greedy. The kings started getting power hungry. And for the next 200 years, the kingdom descended into chaos. It was divided. The kingdom became two separate warring nations, essentially. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And they both had separate kings. And they were constantly at odds. From that point on, it was a mess in Israel. The people of God were facing wars and conflict and injustice, not just from outside nations, but from within their own ranks. Instead of trusting in God during these difficult times, again and again, these kings of Israel, they, they trusted in their own military strength, in their own ingenuity to solve their own problems. For example, Israel made alliances with uh, the Arameans in Damascus. Judah made alliances with Egypt. It was this like they kept turning to these other powers instead of turning to God. And yet every year, as every year went by, it seemed like their power was slipping further and further away. It makes sense because this is what happens when you trust in your own strength and ingenuity instead of God. Their, their power was slipping away. Well, into that context came the prophets. We've talked a lot about the prophets before. The prophets were spokespeople for God who had a pretty singular me message for the people. They said, look, knock it off. Knock it off. You've got to start trusting in Yahweh again. You've got to start obeying his laws, living out what he desires for the people. Because if you keep ignoring Yahweh and you keep pursuing injustice in the land for your own selfish gain, if you keep pursuing your own interests, well, guess what? You're going to pay the price. And that's exactly what happened. Israel, the northern kingdom, fell first. They were defeated by the mighty Assyrian Empire. And then 140 years later, Judah fell, crushed by the Babylonians. In the 580s BC, Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, was ransacked. The temple, this beautiful Solomon's temple, was destroyed. And the Israelite nobility was carried off into exile far from home. In case you were keeping score, that's only 440 years from the time that Israel began as a nation till the time when their nation was in flames. So they're in exile in Babylon. Now next week, Tim is going to talk a little bit more about what, the, what it was like living in exile. But for, for now, just imagine, imagine some of what the people might have been feeling in this time. They were, uh, they were living in this terrifying new land. They were watching as the idols, the, the little gods of the Babylonians, they were being, you know, paraded through the streets and worshipped. You're watching all that happen knowing that your temple back home is in ruins. So you can imagine what they were feeling. Confusion, outrage, despair. Even though the prophets had been very clear that, that this was going to happen if they didn't change their ways, the people missed it. They missed it and they wondered, what happened? Did God leave us? Did God abandon us? Did he fail? Were the gods of Babylon stronger than Yahweh? 
had God's mission to heal the world through Israel ultimately come to nothing? Those were the questions that they were wrestling with at, at that time. So these are the questions rolling through their minds when the prophecies of Isaiah 40 through 55 were written. Okay, so that's the world behind the text. That's what was going on behind what we are about to read. And again, our lives today are nothing like the Babylonian exile, okay? I mean, I can think of very few similarities between our actual circumstances, but, but we are living in a world that is very chaotic right now, aren't we? And so it does raise some similar questions. What is God doing? What is he up to? And, And where is he in the midst of it? So let's see how God spoke through the prophet Isaiah when the people had hit rock bottom. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Isaiah 40, and let's see what he calls, what the, what the prophet calls the people to do. And by the way, um, in this series, with all the BYOB series, it really, really is great if you can have your own Bible open in front of you. It's not just a, a catchy title. It's actually what we're asking of you. Bring your own Bible, because uh, we're going to be looking at some biblical poetry. It's going to be deep with meaning, and it really, I promise you, it enhances everything that we say from up here when you can uh, see it right in front of you. I'm going to be skipping through this passage quite a bit, but if you can take the time to go through it word by word, I promise you're going to get a lot more out of this. So if you can get your own Bible in front of you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Okay, so let's read Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for, her, for all her sins. Listen, listen. It's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and the hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Okay, we'll stop there. Now, I I find it really interesting, if you look at those first two words of this, uh, that the words are comfort, comfort. It's it's written twice in Hebrew for emphasis. Uh, Now, in Hebrew, this word comfort, this is the kind of comfort that you would give to somebody who's grieving the loss of a loved one or, or the death of a family member. This is the kind of comfort for someone who is in a dark, dark place. And if you look at other biblical passages about the exile written during this time, that's, remember, the world of the text, uh, like the book of Lamentations, you can see just how deeply the people were grieving and despairing at this moment. Just how, how, how deeply they were grieving the loss of their once great nation. Now, if I was a prophet in the the tradition of all of Israel's prophets during this time, I might have been tempted to start with, I told you so, right? Right? I told you this was going to happen, you doofuses. Like, you brought this on yourself. It was your sin that got us here. But maybe Isaiah was a little bit more gentle than I was because that's not how Isaiah 40 begins. No, it begins with comfort and reassurance. A reassurance that, if you look at verse 2, that Israel's sins were pardoned. That her punishment, this exile, had been enough. But you can imagine a, a possible response to this. Okay, Yeah, that's great. Comfort, comfort, and all that. But we're still here. We're still in the exile. We're still in Babylon. So what is possibly going to comfort us? Well, look at verse 5. This is what is meant to comfort them. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people 
will see it. Now, glory in the Bible is kind of a, a shiny heaviness of God's presence. It's like whenever God shows up, it's glory, it's blinding, it's weighty. That's the, the, the uh, you know, God's presence. And, and therefore, wherever God's glory is, it's also where his, his rule and his reign as the ultimate king is. So what this passage is saying is that ultimately, God's glory, his rule and reign will fill the earth. Isaiah is saying that that's going to happen. That's, that's about to happen. And literally in Hebrew, he says, and all flesh will see it. All living things. The NLT just translated as all people, but it's all flesh. Everything that's living is going to see this glory of God. In other words, the prophet is saying that despite evidence to the contrary, Israelites in Babylon, God is still working to fulfill his intentions for creation, to heal the brokenness of our world, to root out injustice once and for all, and to bring humanity back into Eden, back into his presence. That's why in verse 3, this voice in the wilderness is calling to the people to, to clear the way. Knock down barriers that are standing in the way. Fill in the holes. Make a straight path. Get ready because God is coming to make all things new. His glory, his presence is going to shine. Even in the midst of exile. Or put another way, God is still working. God is still working. Now, in my opinion, that right there, God is still working, that could be the big idea for this whole series. Because again, in, in the midst of exile, this is what the prophet is trying to get the people to understand. God is still working. Okay, but let's go a little bit deeper. Let's look a little bit deeper. So uh, head on down to verse 9, and we'll, we'll keep reading. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Okay, I love, I love those, those verses. Uh, there's actually a couple things that, that really jump out to me about this passage. Uh, first, it's this phrase, your God is coming. You see that in, at the end of verse 9? Uh, it's probably better captured, in my opinion, by a, kind of an antique word, a word that we don't really use very often. Um, but it, it's the word behold. Behold. Literally in, in Hebrew, it just says, behold, God. <laughs> I love that because it kind of feels like it's got that extra weight to it, right? Behold. Um, I love it because it's so simple. It's so simple. Yes, yes, Israelites, your life is dark right now. Yes, you're in exile. All you can see are your chains. But look up. Behold, God is here. God is coming. So, okay, what do we see when we behold? What do we, what do we see when we look up? Well, we see a warrior shepherd. A warrior shepherd. And th this, I love it. I love it. Now remember, this is Hebrew meditation literature. That's how I refer to the Old Testament. Hebrew meditation literature. It's meant to evoke our emotions, get our, our, our brains thinking, to get us uh, to chew on the meaning of what, what it's saying. It's not literal necessarily, but it's laden with meaning that we are meant to chew on and think about and meditate on. So let's, let's look at this. Uh, verse 10. On one hand, it says, you know, the Lord is coming in power. 
says in one arm, he, he has might. He, he has uh, maybe a sword or something like that, or a, a big king's scepter. He, his arm rules is what it literally says. He's a, a mighty warrior, right? Fighting against sin and injustice and, and evil of our world. That's what he's doing. He's fighting. But then look what's in his other arm. In verse 11, what does he have? He has a baby sheep. He's carrying a sword in one arm and a baby lamb in the other arm. He's nurturing. He's, he's a shepherd. He's gentle. I love that juxtaposition because I can't think of a better way of, of depicting our God. It's the same God who demolishes evil, who's caring tenderly for the broken and the lost in our world. That is the God who is coming to make all things right. A warrior shepherd. So first, Isaiah calls the people to get ready, right? Prepare the way. Make the rough places smooth. But now he's saying this, look up, look up, behold, look and you will see that in the midst of your exile, God is still working. Here he comes. You can see the warrior shepherd coming if you know where to look. So, okay, those are some interesting, encouraging sentiments, right? The, 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 there are really encouraging things to think about there. And, and they're encouraging now, and I'm sure they were back then. God is still working. That's great. That's great. But let's be honest. When we look around at our world today, and we see vulnerable, vulnerable people dying from COVID-19 and seething hatred, destroying communities, and poverty that's just growing like wildfire, injustice— or whatever you've been facing in your life, the, the, the pain that you've felt that just never seems to go away, the chronic illness, the anxiety. When you look at all of that, all the brokenness, it can be tempting to really wonder if this is all true. The idea that God is still working. Is he? Is he? Because I don't see it when I look around. Well, the Israelites wondered that too. They felt the same way. This exile that was in Babylon, it went on for decades decades, uh, year after year, the Israelites, they watched as these, these idols of Babylonian gods were paraded. They had this big parade. They would take the gods around on these big, you know, platforms through the streets and they'd worship them. And, and basically it was a, it was a complete uh, celebration of how powerful the gods of Babylon were. They seemed to have all the power. And here these Israelites are, uh, you know, praying to Yahweh, the God of Israel, but he seemed to be absent because we're still stuck here. Behold, here comes God. I don't see anything. I don't see anything, and my situation sure doesn't seem to be changing. Right? That's what they felt, and, and you'd be forgiven for acknowledging that that's how you feel sometimes too. We all do. So let's see how Isaiah responds to that line of thinking. Okay, now I'm going to read a few different verses, so you've got to stay with me here. We're going to start in verse 12. This is how he begins to respond to this way of thinking. He says, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? He goes on like that for a little bit. And then in verse 18, he says, to whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? And then go down to 26, verse 26. Isaiah says, look up into the heavens. Who created the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and his incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. 
Oh, Jacob, how can you say that the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say that God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Look, even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So in this passage, Isaiah is is trying to reorient the people's perspective. He's implying that their understanding of Yahweh, of God, was way, way too small. It was way too limited. You think that that idol of Marduk, the Babylonian god, you think that idol is all really impressive, guys? That wooden statue that some like dudes made and hammered some gold onto, like that, that is something that impresses you? Our God is the designer of the universe. He designed everything, including the wood that these Babylonian gods are made out of. These Babylonian gods that you're worried are so powerful, they're playing checkers. Our God is playing four-dimensional chess, <laughs> okay? He's a master of time. He's, he's all-powerful. He doesn't get tired. The only reason we're here is because we lost sight of who God is. We trusted in ourselves. We thought we knew better than Yahweh. If we want to find new strength, new strength to get us through this, well, as he says in verse 31, then we need to trust in him, the master of the universe. Because he has never stopped working to fulfill his plan for the earth, for for humanity, even if we can't see it. Put simply, Isaiah is saying to the people yet again, God is still working, just not the way that we might expect. Verse 28, no one can measure the depths of his understanding. His ways are beyond our ways. We can't understand what he understands. If we're going to trust in our own strength, if we're going to rely on our own ideas of what God should or shouldn't be doing right now, guess what? We're going to be exhausted. We're going to fall on our face because even young men, strong young men, they get exhausted at some point. But if we trust in him, if we put our trust in a God who knows better than we do about what's going on in our world, if we trust that our warrior shepherd God is on the move, that's when we are going to find new strength, new endurance to see us through. We have to trust in him. Okay, so we've got to trust that our God is still working, even if we can't see it. We've got to, got to clear the way for him. We've got to, got to prepare ourselves. We've got to look up and behold the warrior shepherd God. That should be our mentality, Isaiah says. But but what did that actually mean for the Israelites? Hypothetically, if they, if they did that, what did that actually happen? What actually happened in history? Well, I know what some of you are probably imagining. You're probably thinking the end of the story goes like this. I'm sure that God rescued the Israelites from Babylon. He brought them back home to Jerusalem and, and you know, everything got back to normal and they were all happy again and the, the camera fades as everybody's just laughing and laughing about all that they went through before, right? That's, that's probably what happened, right? Well, no. No. Yes, you know, 
God did eventually uh, move the Persians in to destroy the Babylonians. And the Persian king, Cyrus, he, he did, and, and then his successor, did allow the Israelites to return to Israel. But it would be ridiculous to think that God's intentions through all of this was just to bring Israel back to the status quo. No, that was not his plan. That was not the end of the story. He had bigger plans in mind. You see, God's mission from the very beginning was never to make Israel, the nation, happy and comfortable. That was never his plan. No, his mission from day one was to heal the world to bring humanity back into his presence. I talk about this a lot, to come back to Eden. That was what God was attempting to do from day one. Which is why, from the very beginning of the Babylonian exile, God was setting in motion a series of events which would lead to a kind of global restoration that nobody saw coming. Nobody saw it coming. In verse 9, Isaiah calls that coming restoration good news. In the Greek version of this, that's the word gospel. That's the word gospel. And the gospel of Mark picks right up on that. Listen to this. This is how Mark begins. This is the good news. This is the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Does that sound familiar to you? Of course it does. He's quoting Isaiah 40. I told you, God is playing four-dimensional chess here. While everyone in Israel was hoping for some kind of military victory, some, some new king that was maybe better than the last ones to sit on David's throne again, the Messiah, God the Father was preparing to send his own son in human form to take all of humanity's sin and brokenness and injustice and violence onto himself. And not just of the Israelites, but of everyone, the Gentiles as well. And to pay the penalty of death so that everyone, all flesh, could find true life again. As Jesus rose from the grave, dismantling the power of death once and for all, that is when, as it says in verse 5 of Isaiah 40, the glory of the Lord was revealed and all the people could see it together. God's rule and reign on this planet had begun. The warrior shepherd had arrived, even though it looked like he had, he, he looked nothing like the people had imagined. This is why we called this series, I Didn't See That Coming. Because God's rescue mission for humanity went way, way beyond anything the Israelites could have dreamt up in their exile. And yet, in the midst of that, the prophet Isaiah, he was listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and he could see what was ahead. Maybe not clearly, but he could see it. He could see what was coming. That's why he called the people to change their mentality, to, to look up, to prepare the way, to trust now, these prophetic words, they're not just a historical record. Okay, they help us understand what was going on back then, but that's not why they were written. These prophetic words are a glimpse into the workings of a God beyond comprehension, of a God who has never stopped working to heal this world. As we explore these passages together over the next few weeks, I want you to find hope in them. I want you to find hope, especially if you're in a place in your life where you feel like God has been absent. 
I hope that, that if you're facing pain right now or anxiety, it doesn't seem to go away and you don't know where God is, I hope that you'll begin to see him in these passages, that you'll begin to see the warrior shepherd on the move. For all of us who are in this dark time of our lives with uncertain futures and, and many more challenges ahead, I hope and I pray that we will prepare the way for the Lord, just as Isaiah asks us to do. I hope and pray that we will look up, that we will behold our warrior shepherd. And I hope and pray that we can find new strength in this time, new strength to get us through knowing that, that God is still working in our world. I want us to soar on wings like eagles right now as we trust in a God who is still working even if it's not the way that any of us might have imagined.